Hello and welcome to today's podcast. My name is George Byrne and today I'm very lucky to be joined by the one and only Junio from Flyability. We've got a great show lined up today. We're going to be talking all about the application, all about the software and all about some new hardware for the Elios 2. Junio, are you with us? Oh, George, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Always happy to have a chance to talk to you and to the Copter audience. So thank you for having me. Fantastic, fantastic. We'll get straight into things. I believe you guys have been quite busy in the last six to 12 months. Is that right? Yeah, R&D never stops really at flyability. So obviously the big news for the past couple of weeks has been the launch of the RAD module. Yeah. Something that we're particularly proud of. It's been some time in the making. And there's a lot of happy folks in the nuclear industry that are particularly pleased with this outcome. And, uh, you know, it's always difficult for an R&D company to find the right evolution for this product. But especially in the U.S. market, the Helios 2 has been really a big success. We're still working with more than two-thirds of all the nuclear power plants in the U.S. So for the Helios 2, it was a natural evolution, if you will. It's early stages. We're getting some pretty interesting results from the very first test with some of the companies there. It won't be available for full release before the end of the year, but it's definitely something that has kept us very busy and hopefully will make us proud in the near future. Absolutely. And that's exactly what the drone industry is all about. It's all about innovation, pushing the boundaries and stuff. And something that ties in quite nicely with that is the new software that you guys released this year, actually, Inspector 3.0. And just before we do go into the depths of the new software, Junior, do you just want to give us a quick background on what you do at Flyability, how long you've been there, and just give us a bit more on that side. Thank you for that. So I've been with the company now for approximately a little over four years now. I have the pleasure of being the sales director for the EMEA region, which means basically covering everything from Iceland to South Africa and from Portugal to Vladivostok. So it's quite a large area and Luckily, I have the pleasure of doing so with a very talented and motivated team of four other colleagues, Raiko, Francois, Fabio, and Inga, that helped me in this incredible adventure and that provide support for our clients throughout this very large area. Fantastic. So, yeah, just back to what you mentioned in there, the new software that's come out, because obviously, Mm -hmm. flyability with the Elios and the Elios 2 always had Inspector, and that was a great bit of kit to understand the actual video and the data that you collect you have to splice it and get some really good footage and good photos for inspection purposes, you know, create reports and what have you. So Inspector 3.0, we've seen the mapping side slightly with Pix4D and your collaboration with your local Swiss counterparts. But with Inspector 3.0, do you just want to go into a little bit about what that is, what that means for the user and what to the end client, asset owner, whoever it may be, is going to benefit from having that? So in a nutshell, we are finally able to provide a lot more context to the data that we're gathering with the same hardware. So that's the real evolution of the product. So in integrating the SLAM algorithm on the data that is already currently captured by the drone throughout any inspection, we're now essentially able to recreate a sparse cloud 3D model that allows for data localization. So Obviously, this is a very simple explanation for most of the people in the business, but the idea is really to be able to come as close as possible to geolocation and geotagging in areas that, by definition, 
are not accessible or where GPS simply doesn't work. So I always like to think of it as uh, Hansel and Gretel, you know, leaving a yeah. trail of breadcrumbs behind. And it's really remarkable to see that the software is really capable of retracing the steps that the drone has taken, even inside very congested indoor areas, you know, like cyclones, like sewers, like boilers, and really recreate a sparse cloud model with the points of interest highlighted with the trajectory of the drone. So inspection companies and asset owners alike will be able to go back in time and see that crack or that particular uh, pitting and, and see the evolution over time. So it suddenly goes from being a point of interest just in time to a point of interest in space and time, which obviously gives a lot more value and a lot more actionable intelligence to the decision makers. Yeah, I mean, we actually used it. We did a bit of a proof concept the other day on a decommissioning coal plant. And because these areas, people haven't been able to access for a long time, just purely on the health and safety side, we were able to put the drone up. And it's exactly like you say, that Hansel and Gretel, you know, dropping breadcrumbs, creating a bit of a where you've been. And that, that was maybe the downfall with internal drone use. You know, you don't have that GPS location. You don't have something which is telling you where the drone has been or where it's going. But with this now, you're able to actually see and have an actual sort of heading of what you're looking at as well when you're capturing that data. So you can play the actual blueprint, so to say, along with the actual video file. And so if you're an inspection engineer, and this is what the end customer for us was really interested and was really excited about, because if they did see a crack or an anomaly, it's not a case of having to then skip through the video or skip through the files to actually work out and get a, a heading on what you're looking at. But they can now then just refer back to the blueprint. And exactly. what we'll do is when we come to publish this, we'll actually drop a video in one of the links so you can see exactly what we're talking about and just see how powerful that is. Because at the end of the day, when you've got a 3D model, you can then just cross-reference that and actually find exactly where you are and pinpoint. So if you're then sending this on to the rope access technicians to go and either create a repair or to actually highlight exactly what you're looking at, it's very easy for them to find and they'll be able to find it in minutes rather than working out where they are looking if, you know, over the course of an hour or so. Um, so it just goes into that time-saving capability. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, we have to think of data, not just in terms of the sheer quality of it. You know, it's a great image, it's a great shot, but it also has to be thought of it in terms of how easy it is to report and the repeatability of that data. And obviously, this evolution in terms of software, which is really a quantum leap from Inspector 2.0, which was really just a glorified media player, we can say at this stage, it really adds incredible values, especially for all the people that then are busy making sense of the data in the reporting phase. So we couldn't honestly be happier with the feedback. As we recently found out really by accident, the software <laughs> often works also retroactively, as in you can take properly because it's a software integration to the existing hardware. Even the earliest units of Ilius 2, you can rerun those files with the logs and come up with trajectories. Obviously, there is also a technique that goes with getting the most out of Inspector 3.0 models. It's not as complicated as indoor photogrammetry. We can touch base on that if you want. And so far, most companies, even at uh, easy level piloting or sophisticated level assets, they've been able to report very good results. So we're very happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. So when the Helios 2 came out, obviously your collaboration with Pix4D, and I'm just going to pick up on the photogrammetry stuff. 
the idea of that in for everybody who knows, and I imagine if you are listening to a drone podcast, you do have an understanding of how photogrammetry works. But for those who don't, it is basically the idea of capturing lots of photos and using a special software to then mold them and create a point cloud by capturing references on all of the photos and creating different shapes and uh, a lay of the land, basically. And that's usually done with external drones. The great team behind Flyability and Pixel D both work in Switzerland. So the ability to then collaborate on that and create these 3D models inside is a game changer. There's a great video online where you're flying through, and I think it's the Swiss Alps over in those tunnels. And that is phenomenal. You know, some of these areas which you've never been able to access before, going into all of the caves, which as an area is very difficult to get to, very dangerous. So going back to an actual practical standpoint for industrial use, the ability to create a 3D model of an internal application, really useful. However, it does come with its difficulties. And I think this is where Inspector 3.0 really does shine because it's so easy to use and it gives you a really good standpoint going forward, correct? Yes, I mean, the irony of it is that with Inspector 3.0, we basically created a little bit of an overlap with our existing product offering with the Pix4D Mapper. Obviously, in terms of the accuracy of the model, we're really talking about Premier League and Sunday League. However, again, it goes to show that the full range of software support that we can provide for clients in post-processing. So Pix4D and indoor photogrammetry, which we have really pioneered, with the help of the Pix4D team with Ilius 2. It's ideal for all those companies and organizations that have a digital agenda for creating a digital twins of all of the assets. Yeah, That's always like a very hot topic for anybody in innovation industry 4.0. So that's definitely an additional element of value for the product. Inspector 3.0, it's really way more efficient yeah. in terms of time. It doesn't require as much RAM on your computer, that's for sure. It requires way less time to be compiled, the model. But at the same time, it still provides valuable elements of evaluation for most inspections. Even class inspections, you know, we're hearing more and more reports of classification societies really across the globe validating Dalius 2 as a tool for class inspections or mandatory regulated inspection. So that's definitely mean that the, even the most traditional industries are catching up with the reality of drones. Absolutely. And sort of to move on to those industries, I know we've got a couple of really good case studies and obviously applications that we've spoken about over the last couple of days. But one of those is cyclones. Earlier this week, I went over to North Wales and I flew within a cyclone, within a cement factory. We got some really good footage, actually. It was one of those applications which... I'd not flown in, but what I'd actually found is it was very good. And that these areas, and you know, you always have to come back to why are they doing this? Why are you using drones in these applications, these areas? And it comes down to the safety, it comes down to time, and overall it comes down to the cost. I asked the team, how would you do these inspections traditionally? And you know, you've got to get up probably about 50 meters to have a look at these certain areas and these culverts which are coming in. And the big thing is they have to clean everything out, scaffold everything up, and then rope access. So then you're now looking at heights, you're looking at confined space, and you're looking at breathing as well. So to put a drone up there, and I mean, I flew up and down. It took me about three, four minutes to do a full inspection, full 360, capture all the data and back. And for even me, who I've seen the Elios 2 fly hundreds of times, and I've flown it hundreds of times, I was blown away by just how easy and how good the data capture was. But it's these applications day in, day out, and I'm sure, Junior, you can definitely agree with this, we are seeing a different application every week. 
sometimes different industries. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, this is really sort of not to toot our own horn, but it's really remarkable that more than two years after the product launch, we're still pushing the boundaries of the possible applications for for this drone. And we're still coming up with more, wow, I didn't think this was possible or this is impressive. And sometimes, you know, it even amazes ourselves. You touched briefly before on coal mine or coal-related applications. So this was always like a big no-no for us and also for people specifically in the industry because of the intrinsically safe issue. Just in the last month, this is the third time that I know or that I've heard or that I've witnessed successful applications in coal-related assets. We recently had in two different locations, one in Poland and one as far as in Benin, believe it or not, coal silos explored with the Helios 2. And both asset owners were just blown away. Because once again, and it sounds repetitive, but it's really an easy formula to remember, the trifecta of benefits in terms of avoiding human entry and all the elements related to it, whether it's raw process, whether it's scaffolding, whether it's both, the downtime that might be needed to inspect these assets, dangerous assets with traditional means. And of course, last but foremost, the human element of danger of removing people from hazard is just really universal. So even in markets and areas and assets that traditionally have been very reluctant to innovate, whether for preconceptions, mentality, or technical limitations of the product, because after all, 100% of the drones are still not intrinsically safe, we're still managing to break new barriers and create a first-of-its-kind application. The challenge, George, as you know very well, is to replicate this at scale and to surpass that initial element of disbelief or skepticism from asset owners or potential clients. Absolutely. For us, looking from the outside, it's almost a no-brainer, especially when it comes to confined space. I mean, look at the last 10 years, we've had multiple companies having fines, penalties put into place because of fatalities of confined space, up to over half a million pounds. And you talk about the fatalities on the offshore ballast tank inspections, whatever, you're talking 20 plus deaths a year. And then if you cross-reference that to the cost of a drone, cost of training, cost of actually putting a robot in compared to a human, it would be crazy to carry on using a traditional method. But it's sometimes, as you say, it's that breaking down that barrier, breaking down the idea of using a new technology and a new process. It's that fear of change, I guess. And I do believe, I mean, I really appreciate you mentioning this point because you know that it's a point that it's sort of very dear to my heart. And I think that in this sense, I think definitely the UK, it's leading the way not just as a market, but I do believe that there is a positive correlation between the element of the penalties that companies have to face for these kind of accidents, the cost, the liabilities involved, and the adoption of this technology. Because unfortunately, in my dear place of origin in Italy, we're really seeing, once again, on average, there's three people dying for work-related causes. Granted, not all of these are confined space related, but some of them are. And yet a lot of companies, they simply get away with it. And it's not just in Italy, you know, just as early as this week, I came across this accident report in a winery in the US. So a fatality in a tank in a winery, the OSHA fine was, I think, $11,000. So it's literally like a slap on the wrist. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was pretty much our reaction when we read it. So in this case, I think legislation and innovation do go hand in hand. 
And, you know, as always, like with most things in life, it's a bit of a carrot and a stick approach. Absolutely. And it's not just that side as well. It's also the reputation of the company. If they're seen not to put these safety procedures in place, do you lose shareholders? And, you know, do you lose your reputation in the industry? And that always comes down to the business end of it as well. So, but no, really interesting that you said about the food manufacturing side of it, because that's starting to see a large application as well. And we've obviously spoken in the past about going into the likes of stills and these areas where you can't actually put human just because of the risk element, but you need to make sure for the health and safety side and the quality assurance side that they're being cleaned to a certain level. So a really good application that we went and flew must have been six to 12 months ago now, and it was going into beer silos, basically, for Budweiser. So you're flying in there, and a great application, a great site to be flying in, purely because it's a metallic tank, and it's very clean. So if anybody who is wondering about the clean element as well, the Helios 2 uses sensors around the drone, which actually measure the distance from the drone to the wall or the confined space. Now, that means that the drone is constantly calculating, constantly doing the math to stay central which means when you're actually collecting the data and when you're actually flying, it's an absolute joy. You don't even really have to control the drone. So obviously the metallic element is fantastic. So for anybody who's listening who potentially has an application on that, get in touch. It'd be great to hear what your thoughts are. But there are a couple of different applications and environments which maybe are a little bit more difficult. And those are sort of the sewers. And Junior, the range extender has been out for a while, but how are we now using the range extender to get into these areas at a higher level of length and distance going down these sewers? Thank you for bringing that up. I want to touch briefly upon the, the food and beverage industry that, that you brought yeah, up yeah, before yeah. With, the, with the great demo that you did some time ago. For all the listeners up there, you know, wondering if there's still potential with Ilios 2, the answer is yes, absolutely. I've said this pretty much at any event with Copters, any podcast, et cetera, et cetera. And it's still, I think, an area with a tremendous amount of untapped potential. Whereas the sewer industry, to some extent, still amazes me because it keeps on growing. There's a ratio, I think, of, you know, like uh, one Ilios 2 for every 100 miles of sewers in, in the UK. This is still, instead, the food industry and pharma is still completely untapped, which is bizarre because yeah. the amount of confined spaces starting from small tanks, so very easy to explore. And the savings, you know, especially on a scale, when you consider the amount of tank farms that have been set up for vaccines or, again, food and beverage, we're doing some fantastic work in the U.S. with one of the largest agricultural corporations in the world. Can't name drop, unfortunately, but they have a really worldwide presence. You know, again, silos for storage of agricultural products. Very easy application. You know, yes, there are explosive considerations, but very manageable. And for anyone out there who is still wondering, does it make sense to explore more confined spaces, more industry with Ilius 2 in the UK, which is a very advanced market for us? The answer is yes, absolutely. I mean, there is still so much potential in these three sectors. And it's really just a matter of getting that first hook, the first client, that first buy-in. And I think, you know, like it happened in cement, everybody else will follow. Coming back to your question about the range extender, yes, it's yeah. a good way to remember our existing clients to check out our latest information on how to make sure to avoid issues with the communication on the range extender. Our technical support team sent out a mail blast a few days ago with a few tips and tricks to check for the reliability of the range extender and to check that there are no issues with the communication with the cables. 
I think it went from being an accessory to being really necessary. Yeah, absolutely. I think it really became an integral part of our quotes and our client purchases because it's the kind of thing that maybe you need it, maybe you don't, but you don't want to be in a situation where you suddenly find yourself without. And it just, for some industries, like again, infrastructure inspection, it's a must. Mm -hmm. For others, it just pushes even further the boundaries of the technology even further and it allows for that element of extra safety of not always having to watch out for the strength of the signal and having that knowledge that there's that extra strength even in areas like boilers that normally wouldn't need one, but it does still provide an additional element of safety for the operation. And it's a redundancy. And yeah, you know, of course. You can have a single point of failure when inspecting this kind of assets. So it's really critical. And we see it more and more being purchased by most clients in most industries. Absolutely. I think it's one of those things which, I mean, the Elios too, you know, there's lots of scenarios and lots of areas which you need to double check and think, how are we going to do this? And there's a lot of problem solving which comes into it. But with the range extender, it always eliminates a lot of those difficulties. We're actually coming to the end of today's show. But before we do go, Junior, I just wanted to ask you one last thing. The future for the Elios 2, if that's different industries that you can see it going into, some of these popular ones coming out of the woodwork in the last couple of months. Um, where are you going to see the Elios 2 being utilized the most over the next 12 months? I still think that the sewers and public infrastructures are going to have we just started to see the tip of the iceberg. There is a huge push in European regulation for more infrastructure checks. France is leading the way. We had a huge surge in interest in our product in France, and that's almost 100% legislation driven. So a lot of these large metropolitan cities, sewers need to be checked and they need to be checked regularly and they need to be checked carefully. And when you have thousands of kilometers of medieval or pre-industrial sewers to check, it's not a choice to opt for this kind of technology. We're starting to see some uptake in, in markets like Switzerland and Germany. UK, obviously, it's way ahead of the curve. I'm confident that other markets like Italy, Spain, Russia will catch up soon. I'm confident that Ilios 2 RAD will make a dent for us commercially also in Europe. The nuclear industry, it's really our bread and butter on that side of the Atlantic, so in the US where uh, rules and regulation regarding the use of UAVs in nuclear assets, it's uh, somewhat more laxed. And I think we have barely scratched the surface of the potential of the Helios 2 in mining. It's obviously the one sector where we have more competition as a product, but there's still plenty of potential uh, there. And I think we still have a lot to show in this particular sector, which is ironic because the original launch product video, if you remember for the Helios 2, was actually in a gold mine, but it's still sort of one of the sectors that perhaps it's suffering a little bit more from adoption scare or being more traditional. Brilliant answer. I think that's pretty much covered everything off. Junior, thank you so much for joining us today. All My of pleasure. the links to what we've discussed today will be in the bio of the video, and you can find that on the copters.com website, or you can go over to Flyability's website and have a look at some of their fantastic case studies that they've been doing. Junior, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all for listening and subscribing. Have a great week, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for having me. Have a nice day. Cheers, Cheers Junior. Bye. Bye-bye.